in a pew in front of you is a little card like this. You want to take it out for a minute and just look at it. It's a tool that we want to use. We want our church to be kind of two-way or maybe like interactive, not just one way. Like we talk to you and then, then you go home. But we, we communicate back and forth and we communicate and serve one another. And that's the, that's the heart of church, really. Uh, and so we have this uh, new tool that we, we want to use, and I wanted to show it to you. If you're brand new and it's the first time you've been here or you never filled out a card like this before, you certainly want to do that. Give us your information so that we can stay in touch. And I want to tell you why that's really important. because we, we want to make this interactive. Let me give you an example. Now, Wednesday night, for instance, we, we took a week off Awana, and Wednesday night we start Awana back up again. And, and I'm telling you that because if I don't tell you that, everybody will call the church on Wednesday and ask. And so we're saving man hours or woman hours there on the phone. But uh, maybe you don't even know about Awana. It's uh, a program for children that involves Bible memory and games, and kids love it. And if you're interested in that, you can actually just fill this out, check the box. Somebody will let you know about that. Most of you know about that, but some wouldn't. But there are other, like, small groups that are going on all throughout the week and, and, uh, and throughout the church for all kinds of different ages and different groups. And we want you to be able to connect in a group like that so you can have fellowship with other people, so that you can grow, so you can figure out what the next step in the Christian life is. Maybe you got financial pressures. Does anybody here have financial pressures? Just kidding. And um, we have the Financial Peace University, and we're noticing that Financial Peace University, the Dave Ramsey uh, seminar, it just helped a lot of people. Actually, it, it's helped people in ways that aren't like money things. We've just gotten feedback from people that it's helped their marriage. We've gotten feedback from people that, and we kind of like this, like they weren't coming to this church until they came to the Financial Peace, and then they started coming to this church. So, you know, that's kind of a big deal. And, uh, and the same is true. Some of you have thought, I've always wanted to be a better teacher. Well, there's teacher training, and we have, like, qualified professionals that are going to be teaching how you teach and, and a bunch of other stuff like that. You can see the little list of things that's right here. On the back, though, there's something that's really important. On the top, it says suggestions and comments, and it says prayer requests. We'll talk about that just for a minute because we'll use these from week to week. This will change a little bit, but we'll use this from week to week. And, again, it's so that we can serve you, so that we can love you, so we can help you. On the suggestions there, a lot of times you have ideas, and maybe you're a little reluctant to talk about them, and we're going to give you a place you can just write it down right here. If you have your name on it, we'll read it. If your name's not on it, we'll throw it away. <laughs> just thought I'd let you know about that. But if you put your name on it, um, but put on there, you know, I got a comment or about suggestion, you know, the message was way too long. You could just write that there. It might work. It might not work, but you could, you could say that. Um, or, or, or if you want to, but, but seriously, if you want to put a suggestion, it's valuable to us. And I'm kidding, but it's valuable to us to know your suggestions. It's important that you communicate with us, especially if you see something that's just helpful to us that we might be overlooking. Please let us know about it because we want to respond. We're very serious about that. You know, it might be that you need a pastoral visit and you're just like, man, I'd love it if the pastor would come by. Well, we don't know who to visit first. If you're sick and in the hospital, we're going to come and see you right away. If you have a big problem in your family or, God forbid, you know, a death in your family, we're going to get there right away. But you might have something going on that, you know, you just nobody really knows about. And, and if you write it down here, we will come and see you. We'll do, we'll do that fast. We'll put that on the top of our priority list because we care about you. And the deacons feel the same way. They just need to know which of their people they can minister to. In our church, if you're a member, you're in a deacon caring group. But if you're not a member, you might be regular here. And you may even like participate. You may even give faithful and all of that and not be a member yet. You can be lost in the cracks and we don't want that to happen. So let us know who you are. I mean, join, would you please? But if you don't join, 
let us know who you are and what you need so we can minister to you. There's also a little like sanctified tattling thing that we can do. Now, this is like thin ice, but let me just tell you about this. Sometimes you might say, well, I don't need the pastor to visit me, but I know somebody who would like it. Or I know somebody that just would benefit. Well, you know, you've you got to be careful about that, obviously. But you just might make a note. You know, hey, somebody might need some attention or whatever, some love, and, and maybe you touch Let them know. Maybe we'll call you and say, hey, what's this about? So that we can minister to them. And then there's a place for prayer requests. And when you put a prayer request here, we're not going to take that prayer request and put it immediately in our prayer bulletin. This is for our pastors. The staff will see it when they gather it, and the pastors meet regularly, weekly, to pray for you. This way we will be praying for you. The four pastors will meet together, and we'll be praying for what you put on this. And then if you want that in the prayer, uh, prayer and praise like bulletin that goes out on Wednesday night, you can ask for that, and, and we'll put it in there. But we wanted you to know uh, about some of the things that were happening in the church. Some of you know about these things, but some of you don't. So this, this way, you can let us know you're here, and you can let us know stuff that you're interested in. And especially what we want to do is we want to see you in this meeting, because this is a big, this is the heart of the church when we gather here. And when we sing, and then we worship, and when we preach, it's really a big deal. But then after that, it, you should be in a small group of some kind, like an adult Bible fellowship. It's a different dynamic altogether. You get a different level of teaching altogether. You get a different level of oneness and fellowship. And sometimes when you come to church, you come to the big meeting, and that's great, but you feel a little bit left out, like you don't have friends or you don't have connections. If you come to the ABF, it's a lot more likely because the ABF is smaller, that you get to know some other people. And so we just are always going to be nudging you, if you don't do that already, come to an ABF that's short for Adult Bible Fellowship, and those meet on Sunday mornings. We look forward to a time maybe in the future when an ABF could meet just any old time they wanted to, anywhere they wanted to. But right now they're on Sunday mornings at 945. On Wednesday nights this summer, we're trying something new, and we're going to have six or seven different small groups that meet on Wednesday night, including our prayer and praise small group. And there'll be a bunch of others, and they're kind of listed there according to needs that you might have. And if you're a leader, a lot of you have been sitting here in church with your Bible open, learning the Word of God for years, and you're a pretty seasoned saint. And maybe you would like to initiate a small group of fellowship or a Bible study, and we'll give you a pastor that will coach you on that and just pray for you and be your friend and, and get those things going. And they can happen on Wednesday nights. So they can happen anytime. We have, a, we have women's Bible studies in our church. We have a man's, men's Bible study in our church. Of course, a lot of stuff for kids too, young people. And so uh, enough of that commercial. I just wanted to take, uh, you, you notice I took significant time this morning to talk about this because it, here's what we're noticing. Our church attracts people. It's an attractive church. We want them to stick. We want people to stick and we want to love them. And so it's one thing to sing together and let them listen to our beautiful choir and for me to preach and you know, until I bust a vein. It's another thing altogether for those people to say, hey, I think I, I want to come back to this church. I want to be a part of it. I want to be, uh, I want to do Christianity with these people. I want to, I want friends here. I want to be a friend to people. And we're trying to figure out ways to really make that happen. Does that make sense? And so help us, help us do this. Help us love you. Help us take care of you and minister to you and know what you, you need. And especially, you know, when you have a, a burden or something, it's best if we know it right away. It's like a family. Um, I have eight kids. I was thinking the other day, we have four boys, four girls, and four grandchildren. So if one of those people has a need, I want to know it. I don't want to know it next week. I want to know it right now. If one of those people is sad, I want to know it right now. If one of those people is sick, I want to know it right now. And um, we have a lot of ministers in this church. We have 600 members, but we have a lot of seasoned Christian people in this church that they're eager to do ministry. 
They would come to your house. They would talk to you. They would help you. I've heard the craziest things going on. People fixing other people's carts, fixing other people's plumbing, helping build onto other people's houses, helping them buy a car. You wouldn't believe the stuff that happens in this church that's unofficial, that's just beautiful. And in every church where God's people are, you know, that's what happens in church. And uh, we want to stimulate that. We want to encourage that. Well, hey, last night we were in uh, Bob Evans and we were celebrating Holly's 28th birthday. And a young man came uh, to wait on us. Our waiter was a sharp, handsome, effervescent, smiling young guy. Just a, His name was Andre. And you go to Bob Evans in Trenton, you, you want to get this Andre and you want to give him a big tip. The kid is outstanding. So he comes to the table and he just like lights up the world and he's just a super outgoing guy and he's really attentive to our needs and he's just a fine waiter and he walks away and I and we look at each other and we go that guy's a Christian and we all agreed he's got to be he's got to be a Christian. So when he comes back to the table cuz I'm all shy and all, I say to him, "Andre, I say to him, hey, Andre, I said, what plans do you have? Like after Bob Evans, you got some career plans? And he said, yeah. He said, I do. I'm planning on going into hotel and restaurant management. I'm like, you'd be great at that. I said, we were kind of thinking you'd be great in the ministry. Are you a Christian? He said, he just lit up. His smile was already there, but he smiled even more. And here's what he said. Yes, I am. And then he put his hand up like this and he said, with all my heart. So we had a great meal. You know, there are a lot of people who know about Jesus who consider themselves like churchgoers. They're religious. They try to be good people. They try to keep the golden rule. But they could never say, oh, yes, I'm a Christian with all my heart. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ with all my heart. In a, in a study that we've been doing in the book of Matthew, we're in a place where there are going to be eight stories of how people responded to Jesus. Now, Jesus in Matthew is being presented as the ultimate king, the king of kings, like the Bible says. He's being presented as the ultimate king. And there are going to be eight stories of response to whether or not people are going to receive Jesus as their king. And guess what? Six of those people respond negatively to Jesus. There are six negative responses, including one we already talked about. Nazareth, his hometown, rejected him. And today we're going to talk about a guy named Herod who rejected him in a very cruel, a very vile, a very violent, a very sad, a very perverse way. There are eight altogether, two of them. One of them is a beautiful story that will land on on Mother's Day appropriately, and it's a woman. But today we have a story that's one of the darkest stories of the Bible. It's found in Matthew 14, verses 1 through 12. It's a flashback story. And the first two verses of, of, of this section of the Bible are, are setting up Herod's paranoia. Now, this is a Herod Antipas, they call him in history, Herod Antipas. And he is... Uh, hearing about the fame of Jesus. Of course, Jesus has sent his disciples out and they're like performing miracles and raising the dead and casting out demons. And Herod hears about this. Now, this is a point when Herod Antipas had been responsible for the death of John the Baptist. And so because he's so paranoid and because his conscience is so defiled, guess what he thinks? He thinks Jesus that he's hearing about is John the Baptist who came back from the dead to haunt him. He thinks he's getting haunted by the ghost of John the Baptist. Now, we know and such a thing as ghost, we know that if that something appears like that, it's a demon. If that, that happens. 
But in this case, Jesus was not a demon, even though he was accused of that. Jesus was Jesus. And Herod was paranoid. And that's what it says in verses 1 and 2. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch, and a Tetrarch is a ruler over four. So after Herod the Great, who wasn't great, died, his sons... And he had children with a whole bunch of different people, and it's a really sordid soap opera of a patent place of a filthy mess. But one of his, he breaks the kingdom into four parts, and Herod Antipas gets one part of it. And this happens to be the part of Galilee where Jesus did most of his ministry. He's called a tetrarch, a ruler of a fourth. Herod the tetrarch heard the report about Jesus. He said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. Therefore, these powers are at work in him. You can see that Herod has this kind of defiled conscience that's making him think really weird things. Now, from chapter 14 and verse 3 through verse 12, you have an interesting literary device that Matthew uses. And when you see it in movies a lot and you read it in literature, it's a flashback. It's, goes, it's what's going to be described happened earlier It's a flashback about how John the Baptist died, and it's a pretty ugly story. Verse 3, For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Now, that can be kind of confusing. Herodias was the woman he called his wife. He had gone to Rome and met his sister-in-law, who was also a relative in another way, and seduced her and divorced his wife, and she had divorced her husband, his half-brother, and they married. If you understand that, you're smarter than I am, because it's even more complex than what I just said. To the point where he is, and and I hate to mention it, it's just a very dark story. He's in this filthy, adulterous, incestuous relationship. And John the Baptist says, that's not right. It's interesting. So verse 4 says, Because John said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And where it says, It said to him, the, the, the verb tense is, He just kept on saying, It's not lawful for you to have her. Verse 5, Although he wanted to put him to death, this Herod wanted to put John the Baptist to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated... The daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Now, when you read about this birthday, you don't kind of want to think like little noisemakers and little hats and little cupcakes. Because pagan, these birthday celebrations were so filthy and they were so depraved and they were so vile, the Jews wouldn't have anything to do with the celebration of birthdays like this. These Hellenistic pagan birthdays were men only and they involved all kinds of filthy sensual things and they were dark and they were depraved and they were sick. In this case, you're going to see how sick they were. They bring a little girl in to dance a sensual dance, and the men are aroused. It's a filthy thing. This is what's going on here. And so it's not the kind of birthday party you're thinking about. This is a filthy, vile, dark, ugly business. So when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. And therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother said, give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. Are you following this story? Herodias is this illegitimate wife of Herod Antipas, who he stole from his half-brother. She left her husband. He left his wife. That got him a lot of trouble with his first wife's dad because then he came and wiped out his army. And Rome had to bail him out to keep him from getting wiped out. And that made the Jews hate him even the more. The Jews hated him because he was filthy. The Jews hated him because he was... He was uh, morally suspect. The Jews hated him because he cost them all this trouble. And, and so 
he couldn't get in more trouble with the Jews because Herod was a guy who loved his luxury and he loved his little petty kind of fiefdom. He called himself a king, even though he really was just a bit player. He wasn't really a king. And he was grasping to hang on to this little power that he had and this little platform for his filth and his sensuality. And he didn't want to lose his power and he didn't want to lose his popularity. So even though he wanted to kill John the Baptist, he didn't because it would be a bad political move. But his wife controlled him. He's involved in a relationship with a woman that was so illegitimate that he's always living under the dark cloud of guilt because of this. And she can manipulate him. In history, if you read Josephus, this gal here just completely manipulates him. Matter of fact, uh, her brother was Herod Agrippa, the one who dies in Acts 12, right? And when he gets kind of big, she's upset about her brother kind of getting more popular than her husband. And so she finally talks him into going to Caligula and asking if he can be the king. And this eventually, after a number of years, cost him his little petty kingdom, and he gets exiled. And Pity for him, she goes with him into exile. So his life is not good. But now back to the, back to the dirty, filthy birthday party. They've got this young Salome, and uh, uh, secular history gives her a name. The Bible doesn't. Herodias' daughter is probably between 12 and 14 years old. She comes into these leering men that are probably in a gluttonous, drunken, filthy feast and she does a sensual dance and it arouses these men and the king then in front of all of his buddies at this filthy party says give her whatever she wants up to the half of the kingdom she has been coached by her mother who hates john the baptist because john the baptist continually is saying wherever he goes this guy is in a relationship he shouldn't be involved in and he's calling him out on that adultery and that incest she's she says to her daughter if he asks for anything Say, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. To us, that's kind of shocking. In in the the near Middle East, it wasn't as uncommon. It was a way that you could really know that you had your enemy dead. Show me his head, and I'll believe he's dead. That's how they did that. John the Baptist is imprisoned in an interesting place. There are a number of different, like, uh, fortress palaces Throughout the Middle East, there are four major ones. You always hear of Masada. We talked about the Herodian. But across the Dead Sea and out into the, out into the, um, uh, across the Dead Sea to the east is this Machiris. Uh, it's also a, uh, it's also a, a mountain fortress. And it's a palace. And this is where Herod is, where he's having his party. This is where John is in prison. And so they, they call him up and they have him summarily executed with no trial, with no legal proceedings. This godly, godly man. Remember this in chapter 11? Remember what Jesus said about John the Baptist? The greatest guy on earth, except for the least in the kingdom. This, is the great, this man was a guy whose spirit would have been a powerful spirit, a compelling spirit, a guy who was not afraid to say what was right and wrong. He, was not a, he feared no man but God. And he pointed consistently to... He was everything that Herod was not. Everything that Herod was not. Herod cowers in fear. And John speaks boldly for Christ. Herod believes whatever's convenient for him. John believes what's right. But John is going to be executed by Herod. And God allows John the Baptist to be executed. And in his head brought in on a charger, on a platter. 
to this woman. So it says, So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given her. You see what's happened here? It says, Well, because I gave my word, and because my cronies are here, and I don't want to look bad, to protect my little fragile ego, I'm going to follow through on this vile request and actually have this godly man executed. That's what he did. In the, in the passage in Mark, the parallel account in Mark here is longer. It's twice as long as this. And one of the things it says is that Herod had this kind of morbid, sick fascination with John the Baptist and with Jesus because they were able to do miracles. He found it very interesting to get them and talk to them. And he, got, he would get John the Baptist aside. And no doubt, John the Baptist clearly preached repentance to him. John the Baptist preached repentance to anybody. Didn't matter if they were the king or the peasant, right? So he would get John the Baptist, it says in Mark, he would get John the Baptist aside and he would question him. And so he was ambivalent about John the Baptist. Part of him wanted him dead, get him out of the way. Part of him, he was kind of interested in John the Baptist. Part of it, he was fascinated by Jesus. We'll see this later. Part of it, he was intimidated by Jesus and wanted him out of the way. And so he was a double-minded guy for sure. He had all this gluttony, lust, fear, emotional sickness, dark poison in his soul. But he also kind of had a sense that there was something to this John the Baptist and something to this man whose name was Jesus. And so he sent and he had John beheaded in prison. Verse 11, his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother. Something more here in verse 12. You have to understand now, that Herod's headquarters was in Tiberias, which is on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. And now his mountain fortress is far away from this, far away from Galilee, over Machairus. The disciples would have had to go out of their way to do what it says they did in verse 12. See verse 12? His disciples came and took away the body, the body of John the Baptist, and they buried it. That would have taken a significant trip on their part. It would have been a significant effort on their part. It also probably implies that Herod had some sympathy with them. He didn't have to give them the body, but he released the body to the disciples. And the disciples took the body of John the Baptist and they gave it a decent burial. And then they went and they told Jesus. Yesterday morning when I heard about Pastor Hall's death, the first thing I thought is I didn't know Pastor Hall very well. He was the first person that ever asked me to speak in this church. He invited me to speak at Fort Faith at a little camp. It was a, it was a paintball raking and I preach. So we did the raking, watched the paintball and, and I preached and my boys went with me. And we didn't talk too much. He invited me and I was grateful for that. And we didn't talk too much because we were working. And then he invited me to come again to NGO and to speak at an NGO thing. And I remember how badly I wanted to do that. And he called me on the phone and we couldn't work out the schedule. And so I asked him, it's kind of humorous now, but I asked him if he could change the schedule for me. Yeah, you know, around here, it's like the schedule is like the 67th book of the Bible, right? And uh, so anyway, he says, no, I'm, I'm afraid we won't be able to have you. And then I had a really a couple of other conversations with, with Bud Hall. So I haven't really talked to him that much, but I have seen the fruit of his ministry. I have heard about the fruit of his ministry. 
and I've met his family and watched them as they have a desire to live for the Lord. And I hear those wonderful apocryphal pastor stories that always circulate after God moves a pastor to another place. And can I say this? We had a dog one time, a little beagle dog, and in a horrible, tragic way, this little dog got hit. I came home to bury this dog, and um, the family was just dissolved in grief over this little dog. And I said, well, you know, let's, let's go back and bury this little dog. And then we'll thank God that he gave him to us. We called him Yoder because we got him from Amish people. And so we went back by the banks of the creek where this mint always grew. And we always loved when we mow over the mint and it would smell so pretty. He used to love to go back there and roll around in that mint. And we buried him there. And we stood around and, and before we buried him, and then we, we prayed and we thanked God for this little dog. On the way back, I was thinking, and my kids were just like mourning and they're crying and they're behind me and they're just coming along behind me, just mourning, just weeping. And he is sad. And, and uh, I was thinking, how do I help the kids to come, get over this mourning, this grief, you know? And I thought, well, maybe we'll get another dog, you know, maybe we'll get another dog. And then I thought, nah, nah, I, I can't say that because they'll say there was no, never a dog like this dog. And so I thought, well, I better not say that. So as we're walking along, Chuck was there, and he was just a little tiny boy. When Chuck was little, he was fat, he little fat cheeks, and he had little fat hands, little dimples on the back of his hands. He's just an adorable child. And um, I remember him going, he's kind of sobbing, and goes, Dad, maybe you want to save his collar? And I said, why would we need to save his collar? And he kind of, you know, in case we get another dog. Now, I hope you understand this. Sometimes in some traditions, the pastor wears a collar. When I heard about Pastor Bud and I watched the Facebook light up and I listened to people, one of the things I noticed was here's a church that knows how to love a pastor. Here's a church that, that says a lot of good things. There's a church that knows how to love a pastor. And I understand Bud and his, Bud's family wants Pastor Hall to come back here and be buried in Michigan Memorial and that we don't know the details yet. We'll get them to you, but probably on Saturday in this room, there will be a memorial service. And as I thought about that, I thought, Lord, how do I minister to your people from a text like this? At first, it seemed impossible. And then I realized that God's Holy Spirit and his mercy had given us the perfect text how do you deal how do you deal with the death of someone that you have a high regard for and a great love for like this man John the Baptist in very simple terms it's given here you see it what do you do first you have a high regard for the human body because we recognize that Jesus is going to come and resurrect that body someday and reunite it with his spirit in a in a wonderful mystery the rapture of the church. And so the men came and they knew enough to say there's some sacredness to this human body and we're going to take care of this human body. The second thing you notice that they did in a very understated and quiet way, what does it say? They went and they told Jesus. When you have a sorrow that's so overwhelming, you don't know what to do with it. And I know that we've just seemed like we've been hit over and over in our church in the last few months with untimely deaths and sorrows that are just too heavy for us. You can get fancy with people. You can try to tell them all kinds of fancy things. But it's a mistake. 
The best thing to do is just to say, take your sorrow and go tell Jesus. His shoulders are broad enough to carry any sorrow that wrings your heart out. First of all, we take care of the body of our loved ones and we show regard for that. Second of all, we take our sorrows and our heartaches to Jesus. There's an interesting thing here that you notice that Jesus did. Is he tried to get away and be alone. Verse 13, when Jesus heard it, he departed there from there by a boat to a deserted place by himself. Jesus loved his cousin, John the Baptist, his forerunner. And even though he didn't go and visit him in prison, and even though he didn't deliver him, he allowed him to die. He was grieved when he died. And he wanted to go be alone and just have a time of private devotion, which I would recommend to you. We know that um, a time like this is a time for us to think deeply about the things of God. A time like this is a time for us to say, Lord, is there some obedience that you would require of me that I could show my loyalty to you and my love for you by being obedient to you in this thing? Would not every single pastor that you have ever had in this church long and desire for you to obey God? What better heritage could any man have than to say, I will obey the God that that man always talked about. I will do what he told me to do. If he asked me to stop doing, if God asked me to stop doing something, I'll stop doing it. If God asked me to do something, there's nothing I won't do for him. What a heritage could anybody have but to say, I'm going to obey my father's God. I'm going to obey my mother's God. I'm going to obey my pastor's God. Show special devotion to Jesus. There's something else that happens here. And that is what happens to Jesus when he tries to go away and be alone. He gets run over by people who are needy, the living. And I'm going to tell you from a pastor's point of view, over 30 years of dealing with people who have to deal with death. And that is it's appropriate for us to think about the one who died. Think about what they lived for and what they believed and what they thought and what, they, what was important to them. To thank God for them and remember the, those things. But the most powerful thing that you can do is minister to the people who are living. Minister to the living. So Jesus tries to go away and he tries to grieve and he tries to be alone, and he tries to mourn, but he's just overwhelmed with people who are needy, and so he rolls up his sleeves, and he goes to work. And you notice at the end of the day in verse 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And he sent the multitudes away. He went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was alone there. You see, Jesus was just like, I will love you people, and I will minister to you people. But the second I get a chance, I'm going to go be alone with my father. I'm going to talk to my father. There's help for evangel right there. Those four beautiful things that we do that we get from this story about how to deal with grief uh, when it comes to us. And so the, probably, the, probably the most helpful thing why, is to ask this question. Now, why is this dirty, dark, violent, perverse story included in my Bible? Why? That's a great question to ask. Why did God the Holy Spirit inspire this story? Why does he want Evangel to read this story? Why does he want you to know this story? I believe it's in the context of like 
how you respond to Jesus. Now think about this. The best way to see it is to contrast Herod and John the Baptist. What is Herod like? Herod is ruled by the guilt that his wife is able to manipulate him, probably with guilt on his soul. He's his characterized by guilt and by a defiled conscience. He thinks he's being haunted by a guy who he's responsible for killing. He's with a woman he doesn't belong with. He's a messed up guy. It's very dark. He's, he's characterized by that. John the Baptist, on the other hand, he could square his shoulders and hold his head high. He was the guy who lived wire to wire on mission for Jesus Christ. Look at the contrast. Dark poison in the soul of Herod that's taken him to hell. John the Baptist, a redeemed man who knew he needed to be forgiven by Jesus Christ. A sinner who was forgiven, who was counting on the righteousness of Christ, repenting his way into the righteousness of Christ. So Herod's in bondage of guilt. John the Baptist, though he loses his head and dies, he's got freedom. Herod is in fear and a desire for popularity. He's in this little kind of two-bit bachelor's party thing, and he can't break his word to his filthy cronies that are hanging out with him, leering on this young woman while she's dancing. He's in bondage to his peers in this filthy kind of, I think, drunken, gluttonous, sensual feast. John the Baptist would never be caught compromising in a situation like that. There's a really interesting contrast. If you just notice, there's two different stories that are back-to-back here. Two different banquets, two different feasts, if you will. They're back-to-back. No, it's no um, accident. It's a literary arrangement. Here you have this filthy, drunken, vile, sensuous feast where a godly man dies And the very next story, Jesus, out on a beautiful hillside, feeds thousands of people who are hungry. No filthy dancing there. No drunkenness there. No sensuality there. Just people hearing the bread of life, speaking and preaching and teaching and leading people to Christ and, and, and doing a multi, feeding the multitudes by multiplying loaves and fishes out in the bright sunlight. This is contrast. Folks, can I just say to you, those of you who allow the poisonous guilt and sensuality and, and doubt and just curiosity about Jesus to pull you into this kind of a life, that's going to be a dark, sad, lonely bondage that leads to hell. But those of you who will believe who Jesus is, not just curious, but like, yes, I love him. With all my heart, I love him. Those of you who will love Jesus with all your hearts, know Jesus with heart and soul and mind, your life is completely different than that. Even if you lose your head for Christ, you go to be with Christ and you have a godly heritage. It's just a contrast. It's that difference. And you have a choice today and you have the choice over and over. And some of you... It's like, well, you're already a Christian, but you need to keep making that choice between darkness and light. And I would remind you who the king is and the way you want to live and the way you want to die. But there are some of you here, and by the way, there is a sense of envy now. Anytime we hear about a believer who goes on to be with the Lord, you get to be my age, and Bud and I, both 53 years old, so you know that makes you think. But there is that kind of like, if you're young, you don't get this yet. But if you're older like me, you get it. You start thinking, God, would you help me? Because when I finish, I want to finish faithful. I want to finish pure. 
I want to finish clean. I want to finish right. I want to finish with honor by God's grace and for his glory. And our brother did that. And you can too. But not if you're just curious about Jesus. Not if you're just fascinated by him. Not if you're just religious. Only if you love him with all of your heart. You know him. And he saved you. And then your life lights up with radiance and not, not sorrow, not dark guilt. With love and not with lust. With giving and not with taking. Can I ask you, who of you are here right now and you need to step across the line from curious about Jesus to a believer devoted to Jesus? Can I explain to you how to do that? A simple prayer. Jesus responds to simple uh, prayers like a little child asking a dad for a piece of bread. God, can I, can, Father, could I have a sandwich? Yes, you can have a sandwich. That's the picture that he gave. Can I have a sandwich? Of course you can have a sandwich. You're sitting here today and you are going to die someday and you are going to face God someday. We never know who, when, how. We just know that's true. And I would just say to you, while we sing our final song, would you have a wonderful time for you to say in a quiet prayer, Jesus, I want eternal life. I believe that you died for my sins. I'm trusting you, not out of curiosity, but in full, wholehearted faith, believing who you are. I want to be a child of God. Some of you, this would be a perfect day for you to pass from death unto life. I want to lead you in a, in a song that was on my heart today. It's 634. I'd like you to turn there. 634. It's an old song. We used to love to sing in church, and it is certainly a powerful song. And I want to ask you, you have this little card. Some of you might need counsel. Mark this card that you would like a pastoral visit, you'd like counsel. Mark it and turn it in at the welcome desk on the way out, or give it to one of us, or come and talk to us afterward. Let's stand together while we sing number 634.